Hello, and welcome to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast, produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. I'm your host, Mike Jefferson. Thank you for joining us as we talk with community leaders from across Greater Des Moines who share their greatest accomplishments and their biggest challenges. Now more than ever during these trying times of the COVID-19 pandemic, leadership remains crucial to the strength and resilience of our region. Let's hear from today's leader. She's the CEO of the Oak Ridge Neighborhood, also current member of the Des Moines School Board. Uh, she serves on several nonprofit boards throughout the community. And I've also been lucky enough to have her as a mentor in the Greater Des Moines Leadership Institute's Community Connect program. Joining me today on the podcast, Terry Caldwell-Johnson. Terry, how are we doing today? I'm good. How are you in the midst of all of the craziness we're going through right now? <laughs> we're, we're doing all right. We're, we're hanging in there. That's for sure. Good. So we'll try to keep this uh, short and sweet here. But just to get an idea, I know I mentioned some things about you already, but for those listening that may not uh, have an idea who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. And again, thanks for asking me to participate. I'm, I'm honored and I'm excited to share a little bit of insight based on my background and my expertise. So I'm originally from the great state of Kansas. I'm a sunflower from the sunflower state. Uh, left Kansas to get my undergraduate degree at Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, but actually returned to Kansas to attend the University of Kansas Rock Chalk Jayhawk uh, to get my master's degree uh, in public administration. Um, from there, I literally moved around the country. My goal was to really become either a city or county manager. Um, and it took a lot of um, fortitude and moving opportunities to create the right sort of portfolio that would cue me up for that kind of opportunity, which actually happened for me uh, right here in Des Moines. But I've lived in Texas twice, uh, California. I moved to Iowa uh, once, moved away, and then I came back and I've been here ever since and have been here since actually now since 1988. And you, you mentioned uh, briefly some, some roles in public service. Uh, can you expand on some of those? I know I have you uh, listed as currently a member of the, the school board. Any other um, public service roles you've had? Yeah, so um, because my uh, master's degree was in uh, public administration with a concentration in urban management, I really have spent my entire career in government. And um, those government assignments, including serving as um, a budget management analyst for the city of San Antonio, I served as chief of staff to the county administrator for San Diego County, California. Um, I served as an assistant in the city manager's office for the city of Ames, Iowa. And then um, I also served as chief of staff to the city manager for the city of San Antonio before coming to Des Moines where I served as the executive director of the Metro Solid Waste Authority, and then also as Polk County Manager. So literally, my entire career has been focused on public service and in particular municipal government. I'm sure working in government pretty much your whole career, as you just said, um, has led you through some, some pretty intense challenges. Uh, I was wondering if maybe there were a, was a time or two that a couple of those maybe stick out to you um, and what those challenges or crises may have been that you experienced that you thought initially you're like, oh, no, there's no way that we're going to make it through this. But obviously you did. But uh, if you could you know, kind of talk about some of those a little bit. Sure, I'd be happy to. 
the one that comes to mind most immediately um, is um, having migrated from San Antonio to Des Moines to take over the Metro Solid Waste Authority. Um, at the time, Metro Waste Authority was really just a sleepy landfill operation that had a transfer station and was handling garbage in much the same way that we did back in the 1980s, which was burying it in the ground. And when I came to Iowa, about six months before being appointed to Metro Waste Authority, they went through um, a legislative process that required them to transfer from a purely landfill operation to an integrated solid waste management system which meant that we were going to have to implement recycling programs. We were going to have to implement household hazardous waste programs. We were going to have to focus on ways that we um, move uh, yard waste away from landfills and create composting operations. And at the time, um, since I was really coming into the solid waste business with no specific expertise in that industry, I was really challenged to not only get up to speed pretty quickly just on the industry, but then also to really determine how best to migrate our operation from what it was to what it was intended to be under this new legislation. So I not only faced a major systems change with that, but I also was faced with a brand new regulatory environment that had really never uh, been tested in the state of Iowa. And as the largest solid waste management system in the state, we were faced with some um, things that, quite frankly, no one else in Iowa had even been challenged to do. So um, I think I cut my teeth not only in very quickly getting up to speed on not only the industry and the industry standards, but also what it meant to literally transform um, our sleepy landfill operation into an integrated solid waste management system that was going to require every single person, every household, every business, and every industry to change what they had historically been doing with their garbage. So um, it was an incredible challenge, and I can't imagine having come into that later in the process being able to manage that from the very beginning and really not only helping to shape what the new system was going to look like, but really to be on the front lines of how we transformed the industry um, really, I think, created for me some amazing uh, professional opportunities and learning that likely I would never have had but for taking that position. So thanks to Metro Solid Waste for teaching me a lot of lessons on how, how to be flexible how to be nimble, how to be ready to pivot, even in the light of things that you didn't know were coming down the pike. And now I'm sure during that time, too, you probably had uh, a team. I'm, I'm guessing you weren't out there trying to to get through all this um, on your own. What were some of the things that you did to get your team through a challenge like that? I mean, that's a that's a pretty big undertaking. So I guess what were what were some of the things that you did, you know, to keep your morale up or to keep their morale up and to keep things going so that they were doing kind of what they needed to be doing um, as well? So I think the thing about this particular situation was that it wasn't change for change sake. Uh, you know, oftentimes we're faced with having to respond to a change just because somebody wants to do something differently. That happens sometimes to be the leader of an organization, et cetera. 
But in our case, it happened uh, to be a situation where um, we were making a change that was a forced change. It was a regulatory change. And oftentimes when you're faced with something like that, um, it makes the implementation and the messaging sometimes not necessarily a little easier, but it also makes people or helps people to understand, I'm not the heavy, I'm doing what someone else is telling me we need to do. So um, I think in this particular case, leading through that change wasn't necessarily as difficult as sometimes leading through change can be because it was an imposed or required change. So that really helped to sort of set the stage for the why behind all of the things that we were asking people to do uh, that I think created a different sort of environment as we began to work through all of the things that we were going to have to face. I think it also um, challenged me to think about what our new normal was going to be uh, in much the same way that we're challenged right now in the midst right. of COVID-19 to think about what our new normal is going to be. Um, it really uh, faced me to really think about what I needed to be doing from a staffing perspective, um, what I needed to do to either build my capacity or build my bench or how I needed to create opportunities for bringing on new expertise. It gave me a chance to really reflect on the people that I had on staff, but also either what they brought to the table or where our shortcomings and our gaps may have been. And in much the same way uh, that I think we're sort of navigating through COVID-19, especially when we begin to look at um, human resources and personnel, um, I think it really allows you to reimagine you know, your staffing strategies, your staffing models, the kind of talent you need, and it allows you to really be maybe um, in some respects a little more uh, clear uh, about what the future holds and how that really is going to shape or mold your organization. So uh, for me, uh, when it came to my staff at that time leading through that change, it really allowed me to be much more intentional about what was required and also much more strategic about how we were going to manage the change. So, uh, yeah, I guess that would be how I would answer that question. Okay. And now, you know, being a leader, whether it's in the role that you've had or in the past or, or what you're doing now as CEO of the Oak Ridge neighborhood can be draining sometimes. I mean, because you're taking on a lot, you're having to make quick decisions. You're having to lead a team of people. You're having to provide and create phenomenal results that people need and want to see. What are some of the things that Terry does to kind of unwind from all of that? I know some people, you know, talk about listening to music. Uh, some people read books. Some people practice yoga. What are some of the things that you do that you can share with uh, tip, tips wise that may be helpful for somebody that's going through a similar situation? Well, I guess immediately um, what comes to mind is understanding that, especially for people who are in leadership roles in nonprofits, uh, in corporations, in foundations, wherever they may be, and whatever they're required to do as leaders, understanding that really at the end of the day, there is a lot riding on your role in the organization and being able to not only uh, stay well, but to maintain your strength and your resilience through this is, I think, really important. Um, I don't take myself too seriously by any stretch of the imagination, but I definitely think that in times of challenge uh, and in times of uncertainty, um, 
leaders are required to lead not only with integrity, but also from a point of personal strength and fortitude. So I do whatever I can to make sure that every single day at the end of the day, um, I'm, you know, recharging my battery. Uh, I, I'm, I'm having some me time just to reflect and to really think about not only what's behind, but also what's ahead. Um, I definitely believe in prayer uh, and reflection. Um, you know, my strength comes from, you know, the, the spiritual nature of having a relationship with a being, whoever that is for you, uh, for me, it's God. Uh, but, you know, being able to be uh, in prayer and in reflection um, is critically important just to my mental state and my mental stability. Um, I don't exercise as much as I should, uh, but I do try to get out and walk, especially uh, over the course of the last few days. We've had some um, amazing weather, a couple of days of just incredible sunshine and, you know, getting out in the sun you know, gives you that vitamin D and gives you that extra boost of energy uh, that you need. So again, you know, whatever it is for any person, you know, just making sure that that's your go-to. You know, if it's yoga, you know, whatever it is, make sure you take time to do those things that are important to maintaining uh, your physical strength and well-being because, you know, these jobs are hard. And sometimes I don't know how pe- how, how much people realize how much people not only rely on you to not only be there and to make the best decisions you can uh, for the sake of your organization, but to also be present in a way that gives people a sense that this too shall pass. It's going to be all right. We're going to get through this. Maintaining that calm and being able to do that, you've got to center yourself and make sure you take care of yourself so that you're not um, putting yourself in a, in a position where you're not really ready to make the right decisions. You're refreshed and ready to make those decisions that are critical. Couldn't have said it better myself, but I guess that's why you're the CEO, right? (laughs) (laughs) At least for now. Yeah. (laughs) So before I let you go, Terry, uh, I'm going to put you kind of a a rapid fire situation. Three lessons. uh, Again, this may be for, for people that are, are just now coming in to, you know, leadership roles in their organizations or, again, aspiring leaders, whatever that may be. Uh, three lessons that you've learned from past experiences, and you've touched on this just a little bit in brief already, uh, but three lessons that you would use, that you've learned, that you would apply to today's COVID-19 pandemic. Well, I think probably um, the most important lesson, especially for me in this role at this moment, given everything that we're dealing with, is communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, Never underestimate the importance of making sure that people know what's happening, know what you're doing to respond, know what you're doing to protect their interests, and being clear about what the expectations are. So communicate, communicate, communicate. I cannot... um, I cannot emphasize that enough, not only in good times, but definitely in bad times. Um, I think the other thing uh, that I would offer is being transparent and letting people know that you don't always have the answer, but you're going to figure it out. Um, Sometimes we're hit with things that we've never been hit before. And boy, you do it on the fly, but you also take time to figure out, okay, all things being equal, what are the critical things that I need to know? 
in order to handle this situation. So again, being fully and completely transparent that you don't always have the answers, but by gosh, by golly, I'm going to figure it out and we're going to together find the right answer for whatever the question or problem is that's facing us. I think the final thing, control the things you can. I mean, in, in situations like this, there are so many things that are so totally and completely out of your control, but there are a lot of things that are within your control. So focus on the things that you can control and handle those and then worry about the other things later. Those would be the three things that I would share. Terry, thank you for joining us today. You and I have a lunch date to schedule once this is all said and done. Uh, we'll go get together and I'm definitely looking forward to that. But again, want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. You take care, you be healthy, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Michael. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for listening to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. To listen to more stories of inspiration, please visit dsmpartnership.com.